0: CHAPTER 22: YOUNG FOLKS HISTORY OF THE AMERICAN REVOLUTION This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Col. Gary Bohannon. GaryBohannon.com Young Folks History of the American Revolution by Everett Tomlinson Burgoyne's Surrender The plight of Burgoyne's army was really becoming serious by this time. Although the rustic soldiers who were before him hardly recognized their own strength, Arnold, as we have learned, had been sent to the aid of the Patriots, and his dash and daring, which were greatly admired by his comrades, added much to the courage of the men. Lincoln was in the rear of Burgoyne's army, and the men of New England were daily coming to join him and to do what they could to cut off the retreat of the British or harass them in the rear. Morgan's riflemen, along with other regiments, had also come to the aid of the Northern Army, and their rifles were to play no small part in the events that followed the fight at Bennington. Most of the soldiers believed in General Gates, and when, on September 9th, he moved the American army up to Stillwater, within 10 or 12 miles of the British lines, they plucked up fresh courage. They, of course, did not know it, but the great peril in the american army at the time was the ill feeling between gates and arnold the former being jealous and angry that his comrade-at-arms should openly side with philip schuyler and the latter having a very slight opinion of the ability of the commander of the northern army four days after the move of the americans burgoyne made a bridge of boats across the hudson and passed over to the opposite shore while up on bemis heights the yankee soldiers under the direction of kosciuszko Who had come across the sea to their aid when he had heard the story of the struggle for independence held a strongly fortified position burgoyne was becoming desperate the way of retreat which he had striven to keep open though he did not dream of using it was now blocked no help from new york had come up the hudson for reasons which we shall soon learn and like the sturdy man that he was he determined to try to attack his foe of course both sides were busy all this time Neither feeling just sure of what the other was doing, and Morgan's sharpshooters were badly bothering the redcoats. And at this time, when they discovered what Burgoyne was ardently trying to do, they sent an urgent word to Gates for more men to be sent to meet the enemy. But General Gates wanted the British to attack him in the position where he felt strong, and had no desire to do the attacking himself. However, when Gates learned that a battle had actually been begun, and that the astonished John Burgoyne, instead of making the attack, was himself receiving one, he sent a few men at a time to help the fighting Americans, but he refused to leave the position he held, or to let Arnold go into the fight. At first the battle had gone in favor of the Americans. Their men, firing from behind bushes and trees, had created great havoc among the scarlet-clad enemy, and Arnold had become so angry that at last Gates consented to his demand for permission to lead the Patriots in their struggle. The British were now strengthened by the approach of Fraser and Riedissel, and Arnold sent back word to Gates begging for two thousand men to come to his aid, declaring that with them he could win the battle and drive back the invaders. But Gates refused to heed the call, and when, after several hours of terrible fighting, darkness ended the struggle, each side claimed the victory, though the real advantage seems to have been with the Americans. The sharpshooters had made dreadful havoc among the men of each side and though the accounts of the losses do not agree it is probable that each side lost nearly if not fully five hundred men certainly the british loss was as great as that by many this battle of bemis heights is called freeman's farm which perhaps is the more accurate title as gates was all the time on bemis heights and certainly he did no fighting yet when he sent the account of the battle to congress he took all the credit of it to himself and never once referred to benedict arnold or the part he had taken surely it did almost seem as if america had conspired against this proud ill-tempered but brave man the soldiers knew the truth however but gates and arnold almost threatened the welfare of the army more than burgoyne did so savage and brutal was the continuous quarrel between them that followed for more than two weeks nothing was done though arnold was eager to have gates follow up the attack at once Burgoyne's troubles were increasing, and the Whigs under Lincoln were doing great damage behind him in cutting off men, seizing supplies, and holding the region. When they tried to take Ticonderoga, however, they failed, although they did just what the British had done a few weeks before, drag cannon up the sides of Mount Defiance. But St. Clair was not in command of the fort at this time, and the British there would not give up and could not be taken. Supplies in Burgoyne's army were very low now and it almost seemed as if starvation would compel him to give up the struggle. Still, hoping that aid would come from Clinton, John Burgoyne once more resolved to try to fight his way through the peasants in front of him, who now numbered 16,000 men. Sending a picked force of his best men forward, they were told to retreat if they found they must. But they could discover whether the Americans would fight or not, or at least they could help the men who had gone out to forage. Very soon they discovered that the Americans would fight, and that no forage could be secured. There was a terrific short engagement, and then the British under Fraser fell back, but rallied again on the borders of this same farm, Freeman's, where the other battle had occurred. Benedict Arnold, who had been watching the struggle, now could restrain himself no longer. He leaped upon the back of his horse and rode like the wind to the battleground. How the men did cheer and shout when they saw him in their midst! just at this time morgan had pointed out general Fraser to some of his best shots and said that man must die soon the brave man was carried from the field having received his death wound his fall seemed to deprive his men of their hope they fell back or were pushed back fighting desperately all the time until at last they were once more behind their own entrenchments but the americans led by arnold made such desperate efforts to enter that soon the ground was won a Hessian soldier, wounded and lying on the ground, had fired at Arnold as the latter dashed over him, and the ball had killed the horse and broke the bone of the same leg which had been so badly hurt at Quebec. One of Arnold's men, when he saw the general's fall, rushed forward to drive his bayonet into the body of the Hessian, but at Arnold's own request, the life of the man was spared. On the following day, Burgoyne got his disheartened men together and started for Saratoga, where the people, hearing of his coming, set fire to such of their possessions as they could not take with them in their flight the wife of philip schuyler had set the example by herself burning the fields of wheat on her farms upon which the buildings also were soon afterward burned by the redcoats the british army was now completely surrounded supplies were so low that the food of each man was reduced but still no word came from clinton yet clinton had set forth with his force from new york city and at this very time was advancing up the hudson he had taken two forts compelled general putnam and his men to leave others and now the british could come by boat from new york to albany on a little slip of paper clinton wrote burgoyne october eighth i sincerely hope this success of ours will facilitate your operations this note he secured in a little silver bullet and gave to a messenger to carry to burgoyne clinton's force on the following day landed and set fire to kingston which the governor of new york whose name also was clinton george hastened to help but he arrived too late though he was in time however to seize this messenger who was seen to swallow something as he was captured governor clinton turned physician for the moment and compelled the prisoner to swallow an emetic when up came the bullet which was speedily opened and the note was found The prisoner was hanged from a branch of a nearby tree, and it is needless to say that John Burgoyne did not receive the word of Sir Henry Clinton's coming. Constant skirmishing and firing were going on between the armies of Gates and Burgoyne. The British could do no more. They could not retreat. Aid apparently was not coming, and so at last they surrendered on October 17, 1777. At first Gates had demanded an unconditional surrender but to this burgoyne would not yield he would fight till he died rather than suffer such a disgrace well aware of clinton's movements the americans knew that no time was to be lost so it was agreed that the british after marching out of the camp with the honors of war should be conducted to boston and there take ships for home promising never to fight the americans again the officers were also permitted to retain their sidearms one of the papers of those days following the prevailing tendency to write poetry thus describes the results gained the capture at saratoga here followeth the direful fate of burgoyne and his army great who so proudly did display the terrors of despotic sway his power and pride in many threats have been brought low by Fortunate gates to bend to the united states british prisoners by convention two thousand four hundred forty-two foreigners by contravention two thousand one hundred ninety eight tories sent across the lake one thousand one hundred burgoyne and his suite in state twelve sick and wounded bruised and pounded ne'er so much before confounded five hundred twenty eight prisoners of war before convention four hundred deserters come with kind intention three hundred they lose at bennington's great battle where stark's glorious arms did rattle one thousand two hundred twenty Killed in September and October, six hundred. Tanned by brave Brown, some drunk, some sober, four hundred thirteen. Slain by high famed Herkimer, on both flanks, on rear and van, three hundred. Indians, settlers, butchers, drovers, enough to crowd large plains all over. And those whom grim health did prevent from fighting against our continent. And also those who stole away, lest they down their arms should lay. Abhorring that obnoxious day, four thousand four hundred thirteen the whole make fourteen thousand men who may not fight with us again this is a pretty just account of burgoyne's legion's whole amount who came across the northern lakes to desolate our happy states their brass cannon we have got all fifty-six both great and small and ten thousand stand of arms to prevent all future harms stores and implements complete of workmanship exceeding neat covered wagons in great plenty in proper harness, no way scanty. Among our prisoners there are six generals of fame, most rare; six members of their parliament. Reluctantly they seem content. Three British lords and Lord Rilcartas, who came our country free to harass, two baronets of high extraction were early wounded in the action. The advance of John Burgoyne had not only been checked, but his entire force was made prisoners. The proud spirit of the leader was sadly humbled but he was still too true a man not to acknowledge the courtesy that was shown him, though after he arrived at Boston it is to be feared that his captors were not so careful. Philip Schuyler had gone back to the army, though not as its commander, and his calm, patient spirit, when he knew that others were receiving the credit for work which he in fact had himself done, was highly praised by the British, as was also the unfailing courtesy of Mistress Catherine Schuyler who tried to make the prisoners with her feel as much as possible like guests. The letters of the Baroness de Ridisil contain warm words of praise for this gentlewoman, and her memory is warmly cherished still. Naturally, the new nation was highly elated over what had been done by the Northern Army, and the praises of Gates were sung on every side. Indeed, what was known as the Conway Cabal was formed, consisting of some men who wanted to make him commander-in-chief in place of Washington, some were afraid the war would be a failure others only wanted to make money still others were eager for peace at any price and the greatness of men like philip schuyler and george washington who not only had to face a skillful foe in the open field but also to deal with many timid cowardly treacherous men at home in the contrast seems all the greater and george washington had been having his heart and hands full all this time as the following chapter will explain End of chapter 22